Good morning, church. Uh, I pray this sermon is particularly encouraging to Rainey and her family. It's about testing ourselves to see if we're born again. Are you born again? All the realities that Pastor Ron, read, uh, uh, Chris Chan read out of Revelation 21 and Ron prayed for and the things that we sung, he will hold me fast. You take this world, give me Jesus, my God's enough. All these promises are for those who have been born again. And in Revelation 21, 7 says the new heavens and earth belong to those who have overcome. And we know that this current world is passing away. Physically, we could see it. Morally, we could see it. Socially, we could see it. it it's dissolving before our very eyes. But the good news is that there's a new world coming. A new heavens and a new earth is coming. Reserved for forgiving people. Reserved for those who've been born again. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus is my treasure, you could say. So the number one priority for every single one in here is this. Can you see that you've been born again? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes, Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. This is a good thing that we get to test ourselves. The Lord calls us to examine our lives to see if we actually have been born again. And the Christian life is a, is a life of power. This is not like a theoretical thing, like I've been born again, some kind of a theory. This is a real, tangible thing that happens to every Christian. When we're born again, God powerfully manifests evidences in our lives. And God tells us these tests here today at our First John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to First John, John chapter 5. It's towards the end. It's not the Gospel of John, but the First John chapter 5, John's first letter. And if the Gospel of John is to know how to be saved, John 20, 31, the first letter by John at the, end of the, at the back of the Bible is to know if we are saved. So as First John 5.13 says, so that you may know. I've written these things so that you may know that you have been born again. And so this portion of scriptures, Scripture is critical for us to understand. And as you listen to what's preached, what's read, please examine yourselves. Yes, the Lord has produced these things in me. I can see that I'm born again. Or no, at the end of the sermon, I don't think I'm born again. And we'll address that then at the end of the sermon. So let's rise as we read 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5 uh, together. 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. God's word says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the one who gives new birth loves also the one who has been born of him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the overcoming that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
This is God's word to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Pray that you would uh, allow your spirit to energize me to preach faithfully, guard my heart from sin, allow me to preach faithfully your word, and I pray you give us spiritual ears to hear very clearly what you're saying. I pray for the brotherhood to be encouraged today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Please have a seat. Just so we could follow along, the four... uh, Headers that I'm going to use today to answer the new birth, if, you, it, what, if you've been born again, is this. Number one, the new birth produces a fruit of continual belief. Number two, the new birth produces a fruit of Christian love. Number three, the new birth produces a fruit of committed obedience. And number four, the new birth com- produces a fruit of confident overcomers. Confident overcomers. So let's get to the first point. I'm going to keep asking the same question. Are you born again? Are you born again? Number one, are you born again? The new birth produces the fruit of continual belief. Let's turn our eyes to verse one of of chapter five, first John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is kind of like a review for some of us last week who were here listening to the sermon about the new birth. This is talking about the fact that the new birth is the root and the new, the new birth produces saving faith. And if, just to prove it even more so, the grammar uh, of, that John uses in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, says this also. Everyone who believes, present tense, that Jesus is Christ has been born of God, has been born. That means that, that you've been born again in the past. And in, for those of us who care, this is got G, uh, John used the perfect tense. And what the perfect tense means is it, it's something that happened in the past with ongoing effect. John Stott, a theologian, talks about this and makes it very clear for us to understand that even what John is writing right here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, is saying that the new birth proceeds saving faith. Right here. John Stott explains the combination of the present tense believes, the word believes is in the present tense, and the perfect tense has been born is important. It shows clearly that believing is the consequence, not the cause of the new birth. So if we study carefully John's grammar, use of grammar here, John is clearly talking about that the new birth happened first and then saving faith has come. But not only that, I, I want to, I don't want to just have another review from last week's sermon. I want to go deeper into this. This word believes is in the present tense. What that means is this. It's a continual belief. This doesn't mean I believe when I was age 10 and then at age 30 I, I stopped believing. I mean, continual belief is ongoing belief. At some point in time, God regenerated us or gave us new birth and then we start to believe. We start to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does this mean? Well, Christ simply means the Messiah, the anointed one, the divine savior of the world. And somewhere along the line, when we're born, we make a conscious decision because believes is in the active voice simply means that our human will gets involved. So we're not like mindless robots. We just believe. Somewhere along the line, God gives us new birth, and boom, we have the ability, spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, to see and hear it, and all of a sudden, yes, I believe. So believing is a continual thing 
continual uh, fruit uh, uh, or continual belief that was been produced by the new birth. So what does this look like? Continual belief in Jesus Christ means this. We continually trust that Jesus is fully God, fully man. Continual belief in Jesus Christ means that we have continual reliance upon Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, meaning you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and my sins. You believe this. You continually believe this. Continual belief in Jesus Christ means that we continually accept that Jesus is Lord. He's the one I look to. He's the one I follow. He's my God. Continual belief in Jesus Christ means that we continually Hope that Jesus is returning, that he's coming back and taking us to heaven. Right? So this is the marks of continual belief. Continual belief also means that we have confidence that Jesus is the Son of God. We continue to believe this. Continual belief also means this. We continue, continually believe and have certainty that Jesus Christ is the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So this is the fruit of regeneration, or are you, have you been born again? Are you born again? The first mark is, do you believe what I just said? And if you, your heart is saying, amen, praise God. Now I want to focus in on continual though. Not just belief in one moment in time, but continual belief. I'm going to give you a counterexample of what continual belief does not look like. And this serves as a warning to all of us, including myself. It serves as a warning to Evergreen Baptist Church because this one hits close to home. Our founding pastor is a man named Paul Nagano. Paul Nagano was our founding pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church, going back to 2nd and Evergreen in Boyle Heights. Many would have said Paul Nagano was an evangelist. Some would even say he led me to Christ. Praise God. Some would say he was very zealous for, uh, for, for the word and for Christianity. Praise God. But this is what he wrote. In, and I read this out of a Fuller Seminary blog that chronicled his life. This is his own words. Paul Nagano's words are founding pastor's words. For the greater part of my ministry, I've been what we label evangelical, uh, evangelical conservative. Believing in the uniqueness and finality of Christ and Christianity. I believed, past tense, I believed the traditional claim for the superiority of Christianity and salvation was only through Jesus Christ. This is what once he believed. Now I was exposed to other religions. And each claim to be the one true religion. How can we ignore the growing reality of religious pluralism? Can world peace be found without peace among the religions? This is Paul Nagano writing. As an honest Christian facing these endless questions with an open mind and heart, my stance changed. My stance changed. He departed from conservative evangelical theology. This period of my spiritual journey was truly a transforming time. He goes on to say, being retired meant that I could do whatever God led me to do. I was also free to deepen my understanding of theology. I had the freedom to read, learn, think, and do as my conscience directed. My faith developed in a non-authoritarian, inclusive, universal direction that respected the perspectives, perspectives of others. I can now embrace the pluralism of our diverse human community community. 
Was he a believer? He, he is now no longer living. He lived in Atherton. He died. Was he born again? Well, is this continual belief? Matthew 7.22 says this. Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy? In your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles. Why do I bring this up? I think this is a stark warning for me. I serve as pastor here at Evergreen Baptist Church. Well, any of us who seem to produce a lot of fruit, who seem to have a lot of zeal for Christ, who seem to be evangelistic, who seem to love the word, but continual belief is what the, the new birth produces, not temporary belief. First John 2.19, Paul, I mean, John addresses this in this letter, talking about false teachers, antichrists. They went out from us, 1 Corinthians, um, 1 John 2.19, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, these false teachers, but they were not really of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be manifested, manifested that they all are not of us. This is a very serious thing for us to really consider. Continual belief is the mark of the new birth. I mean, do you know people like this? Do you know people like this? They seem to look like a believer, smell like a believer, sound like a believer. They're active in fellowship groups. They love to serve in the church, zealous about Jesus Christ. But they don't, they now they deny Christ. Well, they're born again. Clearly, temporary belief is not true fruit of the new birth. Continual belief is is a fruit of the new birth. It's a warning. It's a warning for all of us that we need to continually show saving belief. Amen? Number two, are you again? Are you born again? The new birth produces the fruit of Christian love. Christian love. Not only do you have continual belief, God produces Christian love. Let's look at verse one again of chapter five. And everyone who loves the one, that's talking about God the Father who gives new birth. God gives new birth. We learned last week, new birth is all from God, completely from God alone. Loves also the one who has been born of him. Love. Love. All of a sudden, you've been born again. Not only do you believe in Jesus as, your, as Christ, now you love him and you love other Christians. I mean, I, I believe that we're all loved, we're called to love all men, believers or non-believers. However, we have a special love for our family, don't we? We understand this on a natural level. We have a special, unique love for our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, so forth and so on. So it is in the Christian faith. We love Christ. We love other family members of Christ. I remember a story where um, I was talking to a professed believer, and he just says, I don't need the church. I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but you know what? I'm fed up with uh, Christians. I, I, don't, I don't need to hang out with Christians. I don't need to be part of a local church. I love Jesus. That's all that matters. Well, 1 John four nineteen talks about this. John writes, we love because he first loved us. Amen. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen physically cannot love God whom he has not seen physically. 
And this commandment we have found, we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I mean, this is, in other words, John is saying it's impossible to love, truly love God and not love other brothers and sisters. It is impossible. It's impossible. This is the fruit of, new, of the new birth, of being regenerated. That you love other brothers and sisters. I've seen this very clearly, and, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have visited Bill a day before he went home to be with the Lord. And I just want you to know I'm so grateful for the Monterey Park group of uh, Life Group. They're praying for Bill and Rainey, contacting Bill and Rainey. I think organizing food and things like that for Bill and Rainey. I just want you to know Bill and Rainey both talked to me how thankful they are for the church. How they felt God's love through the church. I mean, in no unclear terms, he made that very clear to me. Yeah. And Rainey too, that yes, I'm so grateful. And it's really encouraging to see that happening. You know, just offline, people just mobilizing to care for brothers and sisters. That's the love of Christ. That shows evidences of the new birth. That you love God and you love his sons and daughters. I mean, I'm encouraged after service. I see people hanging out in the sanctuary. It's hot outside, so you take advantage of the air conditioning. That's great. I see people talking and fellowshipping. I will say this. Try to reel in someone you see departing right away all the time. Try to bring them into the circle. Try to bring them into the fold. Be active in trying to draw people to be here. That's wonderful. Because you I mean, we, we are kind of a commuter church. Some of us travel 20 some minutes, some more. We see each other once a week. And so you really want to maximize. I can't wait to see someone on the Lord's Day. I can't wait to see my brothers and sisters because tomorrow I go back to work and I'm surrounded by non-believers. You love to be with your brothers and sisters. And some of us are shy. So if you're kind of grouped into a group of people, try to rope those guys in. That's showing the love of Christ. I mean, think about it. As Christians, we're drawn together. We're drawn drawn together. And some of us have relationships that don't make sense on a worldly level. I get it. If we like a certain sport, we went to the same school, we're a part of the same team, we work together. Those are understandable things for non-believers to, I could see why you guys are friends. But many of us don't have much in common in that way. But... We share the same affections. We love Christ. We love the church. We have similar convictions. We believe that the word of God is God's word. We study it to know what it says. We have the same mission. We share the same mission of the great, uh, the great commission to make disciples. Therefore, we want to be with one another. That's why the Lord is exciting for us. We want to be together with one another. And how does this happen? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation. All things have passed away, meaning we all have that common experience that we've been born again as Christians. And when we're birthed into the kingdom, all things have gone away. We can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to love football so much. Now it's, it's important, but it's not that important. I used to love my job and, my, and the money that I was bringing. It's important, but it's not that important to me. I remember that relationship was important to me, but it's not as important to me as Christ is now. We could kind of share stories and, and relate to each other in that way. That binds us. All things that passed away. I used to love living for myself. 
Now I think of others. New things have come. That means that we reordered our allegiances. That means that we have abandoned old affections for new priorities. And every single born-again man, woman, and child in here could relate to that. It may be harder if you just grew, grown up in it because you don't have that clear mark. Me, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. There was a change in my life, a change of direction, a change in pattern that my brother, my mom, others could see. I could see it. These are things that binds us together. And I'm turn our attention to verse 2 here. I want to, these next point two and point three kind of merge together, but I think John has a purpose here. Verse two says, by this we know that the, that we love the children of God when we love God and do his commandments. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. As I read, read this and I was trying to make some clear divisions here, it was more and more clear that Love and obedience are intertwined. They're like knotted up in a ball here, like a ball of yarn. It, 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 they inter, they're intertwined, and I think there's a reason. Love is more than a feeling here, right, church? It, it, we may not feel like loving others at times. Matter of fact, during trials that you're going through, you may not feel close to God at times. Even David in Psalm 22 wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? So if you're feeling that way right now, like I don't really feel that love from, uh, from God or for God because you're going through a trial. That's normal. That's normal. You may say my faith is defective. Well, David felt this way. Or you may be, so it's hard to love other family members, right? Some family members are hard to love. For a variety of reasons. It could be us, it could be them, it could be circumstances. I'm talking Christian now, Christian family members. I mean, the church is full of recovering sinners. This is what this is, is, including myself. We're here to help each other. We're recovering sinners. We've been forgiven, praise God, and God sees us as perfect and holy. Yet in this sanctification process that we're on, we're recovering sinners. Still, Old marks still exist in us. Guests, I see a lot of guests out here today, and if you're a guest, if you're thinking, man, I'm not perfect, well, this is a perfect place for you. I just want you to know that uh, Evergreen Baptist Church is not a place for perfect people. This is not the case. We pursue genuineness, but none of us are perfect, including myself. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Amen? Thank God he came to seek and save you and me. Perfection happens in eternity. What, what Chris Chan read in John, uh, Revelation 21, what John wrote in Revelation 21, that's when perfection happens. When we see him, our Lord face to face, and boom, we're perfectly glorified. Living in a sinless existence, living in a sinless state, that's when that happens. We're all on a journey. So guess, if you're thinking, man, I've never been cut out for church, you may be the perfect candidate to be part of our church. Because I wasn't cut out for this either. Church is for a place of recovering sinners where we help each other on our journey towards heaven. This is what this is about. And love right here, as we understand this, this is the word for agape, agape love. Agape love is a sacrificial love of the will. That's the best way to describe it. Sacrificial love of the will. More than a feeling. 
It's a sacrificial love of the will where it's present tense. It's ongoing. I keep loving God. I keep loving others. Not perfectly, but genuinely. I'm loving God. I'm loving others. And it's an active voice, meaning the person is to energize his human will to love. I'm choosing to love you. I'm going to choose to love you. This is sacrificially. I'm committed to loving you. A committed love. I remember, you know, um, football lessons that I learned in the past, and I debated if I should share this, but I'll share it. I, I got involved with Rio Hondo Prep football. It's a high school team, and uh, the reason why I thought about not saying this because last time I said I got on football, somebody gasped in the church as if, as if I'm leaving or something, you know. <laughs> it was for flag football back then, but I'm actually back in pads, and I'm, I'm back in football, and it's been great. And... Um, I'm like the chaplain. I'm not really coaching. I'm like the chaplain, consultant type person off the side. But I remember my old coach, he would say, what you love the most, you will protect. If you love your younger brother, he would say, you're going to do everything in your power to protect them. If you love your family, you're going to do everything in your power to protect and care for your family. If you love football, you're going to do everything you can to not jeopardize this game. I mean, how else can you motivate a highly paid man, highly publicized man to run through a brick wall, right? I mean, how do you do that? To sacrifice his body? It's love. It's love. You love the game. You love the brotherhood on the team. How else can you motivate people in the church who have been given much? We have every spiritual blessing. And for many of us in this room, we've been giving many uh, material blessings as well. How can you convince somebody to sacrificially love other people, particularly those who are hard to love? Proverbially, going through the brick wall of the Christian life, how are you going to sacrifice, give up yourself to this? Love needs to be the motivation. John fourteen fifteen, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Therefore, love and, and obedience are intertwined. So the next point is, 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 is loaded up with this. Are you born again? The new birth produces the fruit of committed obedience. Christian love leads to committed obedience. A Pharisee once asked Jesus in Matthew 22. He said, Jesus, as trying to trap him, he says, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment of all? Do you remember what Jesus said? Of course you do. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and with all your mind. He says, this is the greatest commandment of all. And the second commandment is just like it. He said this, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Meaning, this is it. This is how you fulfill the law. Romans 13 says, this is love fulfills the requirements of the law. So when it says right here, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Love and obedience are just mixed in together. They're absolutely mixed in together. Love fulfills the commandments. Love fulfills the requirements of the law. Love makes us, by obeying the commandments, makes us righteous and holy and sinless in the sense of our pattern, our life, is living in a righteous, holy, sinless pattern. Of course we'll have setbacks. Of course we'll have setbacks. You see, love is more than just a command 
that, or love is more than that, what sums up the commands. God tells us to love one another because not only is it the motivation, it's the means of fulfilling the law, the means of fulfilling God's ways. I want to just encourage us in this. It's not a perfect obedience, obviously. None of us can say we obey perfectly. It's a committed obedience. That's the word, committed obedience. Meaning, am I committed to obey God? Another fallacy to say is that Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord. That, that doesn't count either, right? That's clearly not Christian here. That's clearly not talked about here. That's why when defining yourself, you may say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And this also is in the present tense, which means that we're ongoing, we're committed to obey God. This is also in the active voice. That means you've enacted your human will to obey God. It's committed obedience. 1 John 2, 29 says, The righteous ones are born again. Righteous people obey God's standards. First John 3, 9 says, those who do not, do not sin are born again. Well, if you're obeying God, you're not sinning. So John has a circular way of con- constantly repeating similar themes that he has talked about. Let me just make this very clear, though. We do sin as Christians if you sin there, if you on the way to church, even, you know, if you're sinning or even last night or the other, last week, you, you fell into some kind of a sin. That may be true, right, for myself as well. I mean, I find myself asking my family for forgiveness. And, um, but the difference is we may sin, but we don't live in it. There's a difference there where we stumbled into sin or I'm living into sin. And it's a pattern of life. Illustration is this, like, it's like the stock market. A good stock is going to have this type of trajectory. It's going to, it's headed north. But there are moments where it goes, dips and rises, dips and rises, dips and rises, but it's headed north. If stock is going south and dipping and rising, but heading south, you best sell that stock, right? We understand that. But for the Christian, well, we look, our lives look like this. And gratefully, as we mature in Christ, the north trajectory gets more and more steeper as we go on. That's sanctification. If your life looks like this, like you, you, you're disobeying, obeying some, disobeying, obeying some, you, you may have a hard time having confidence that you're born again. You may have a hard time being confident that you're born again. And it says that, that the, in verse 3, his commandments are not burdensome. You see that? That is critical for Christians to understand. Why do I obey? Because you want to. Because you love God. You love Him. You don't have to tell a football player who loves football to show up at practice. They, they want to come. Although it's grueling. Although it's punishing. Although it's not comfortable. Although it's hot. Although blood may be coming out of your hands after the end of the practice. You still show up because you love the game. And you love your teammates. Same in the Christian life. Obeying God is not a burden. Why is it not a burden? Contrary to football, like obedience may uh, dictate if you're on the team in football. <laughs> There's some of that. But in the Christian life, obedience does not merit your salvation. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2.8. 
as a free gift, not as your work. Why is it not burdensome? Well, obedience comes through grace as well. We're saved by grace, but we're obedient by grace as well. Ezekiel 36, 27, God says, I will put my spirit in you, the born-again person, and cause you to walk in my ways. God does that too. God energizes that belief too. It's a joyful thing. Why is it not burdensome? Because we love God. It doesn't merit our salvation. And God actually energizes us to obey God. Isn't that amazing? It's all God still. However, somehow our human will is involved and we get to obey God. We choose to obey God. Do you have a hard time obeying right now? Maybe you're like thinking, man, I, I, I just don't like to obey. I see what the scripture says, Pastor it is plainly clear to me. But I'm not sure I want to obey or embrace that truth. That might be you. And I'm not saying all areas of life. Some areas are a little bit more sacred to us than others. Some areas for me are easy to believe and accept. Others, oh, it's going to be painful to accept these things. It's going to be costly to accept these things. We need the right motivation. Focus on the love of Christ, right? This is how you would counsel, biblically counsel, going back to our counseling series, counseling the word to one another. Second Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, pressures us. Focus in on the love of Christ. We love because he first loved us, the Bible says, right? Then you'll be saying, Oh, how I love your law, as David writes in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. I love your word. I love your word. Romans 6, 17 says, we obey from our hearts. What does God say? Does he desire sacrifice? Or desire hearts? Hearts that, hearts that are obedient to him. All right, this is what the Lord desires from us. So are you born again? The new birth produces the fruit of continual belief, Christian love, and committed obedience. Being in football the last couple of weeks, about a month or so, I, my mind has been jogged in my old ways. And um, I think the game has had a profound impact on me. I mean, I, I can't deny it. Being in the game for about 30 years and being consumed by it, it it's shaped the way I think. And I think as a coach, I remember us trying to instill a championship mindset in everybody. A winning mentality, you know, and, and like we used to talk about, let's play in the absence of fear. Let's not go out there scared. Yeah, they're good. And yeah, they got good players. But and yeah, a lot of people are watching. But let's go out in the absence of fear. That's what we want to develop in our players. And I could kind of see that me trying to do that with my wife, my kids and, and even our church. I could see that inherently. It's kind. Of, I'm trying to make us confident people and to develop a confident mindset. Well, this fourth point talks about confidence. So are you born again? Well, the new birth produces the fruit of confident overcomers. Christians are confident. Christians are called to be confident overcomers. Read verse 4 with me here. For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world overcomes the world. This word, nikao, is used 24 times by John. It's used 28 times in the New Testament. But John, 
is the main user of this word. 24 out of 28 times. And, and this is where we get the word for Nike. All right, this is the same word, uh, same type of word, which means Nike means our victory. But Nikao means to defeat, to conquer, to win, to, to dominate. This is the mindset of a Christian. And John uses this word to describe Christians 15 times. I don't know if it's 24 times. The other times, talks about Christ as our conqueror. But what do you think John is trying to do? I mean, I, I resonate with this. As I studied this word, John is trying to instill a, a confidence in us so that we take on the world. We take on Satan and his temptations. We take on the lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life with confidence. With confidence. He's trying to instill a victorious mindset in all of us. Revelation 21, 7, Brother Chris read, He who overcomes, or is victorious, I think his translation, but he who overcomes will inherit these things, the new heavens and the new earth. I will be his God and he will be my son. And what are we to overcome? The world. Verse 4 says the world. The world is what we're called to overcome. The world. The word for world is cosmos, which means World's order, world system, satanic world system. In First John two three uh, two thirteen and fourteen, we're called to overcome the evil one. That's Satan. In First John four four, it says we're called to overcome the Antichrist, those who speak out against God. In, in, in other words, we're to overcome the world's marketing strategy. If that makes sense, we're called to overcome the world's marketing strategy. Headed up by Satan himself and all his demons. And what does this marketing strategy do? Think about what's going on today, guys. It's very clear. It's attacking the identity of Christ. It's, it's attacking the, the, the uh, exclusive saving nature of Christ. Paul Nagana bit into that one. It's out there. There's other truths out there. Many roads lead to heaven. It's attacking the sufficiency of Christ. I need more than Christ. I need Christ plus my job. I need Christ plus this house. I mean, that, that, those are all lies from the enemy. I need Christ plus the respect of other people. Of course, these things are nice and, and good and important, but you don't need these things. We need Christ. What's being assaulted is, uh, the, is the word of God, the truth. This is what's being assaulted today. So if you want to disciple your family and your friends well, teach the authority, the sufficiency, and inerrancy of the scriptures. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. Basically, Satan is trying to sell you trinkets, you and me trinkets. He's trying to sell us the lust of the flesh, meaning you need to experience this pleasure, physical pleasure. You need this. Otherwise, you're missing out. You need this. You can't live without this. Satan is trying to sell the lust of the eyes. You need to buy this. You need to have this in your collection. You need to get that house. Otherwise, you're not going to be fulfilled. Satan's trying to sell us the boastful pride of life, meaning you need to earn the respect of everybody. Everyone needs to admire you. You need to be looked up to. You need to have this accomplishment. You need to have this degree. Otherwise, you're going to be nothing. You need to keep this job. Otherwise, you're, not, you're going to be nothing. You need to have the perception that you have a perfect marriage and perfect family. Otherwise, people are going to look down at your church. That, this is the boastful pride of life. This is Satan whispering into our ears. 
whispering sweet nothings of poison into our ears to sell us these things. So we would sell the greatest treasure for mere trinkets that are going to dissolve someday. What did the Lord say? What is a profit of man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? This is what Satan's marketing plan is for us to buy into the world. Now listen, education, family, cars, homes, and these are good things. I have these things too, but they're just not the ultimate. That's all, that's all we're saying. But there may be some sinful things that you may need to repent of in jettison. They're absolutely. But oftentimes in the church, Satan will whisper to us good things. He'll dangle good trinkets in front of our eyes so that we would be more uh, uh, hypnotized by these things than Christ, right? He wants us to basically want this world. God, you're not enough as we sunk. But Jesus is saying, look to heaven. You could have this world. God, you're enough. This is what God is saying. Satan is saying the other way. Let me read you Romans eight thirty-five and 39. Paul writes that Jesus is enough. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Question mark. Will f- affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Can any of these things take us from the love of Christ? Separate us from the love of Christ? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. Persecution was ramping up in Rome. We were count- counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Same word again. Hyper-conquerors. We're super-conquerors through him. Not through ourselves, through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is exactly what the Jinn family is hanging on right now. This is exactly the promise that the Jinn family is hanging on right now upon genuine confession of faith in Jesus Christ for Bill. And as I visited him, he kept affirming the gospel. I kept going point by point by point, and we didn't mince words, and he just kept affirming, yes, I believe this, I believe this. Praise God. In the end, that's all that's going to matter. Have you been born again? This championship mindset for the coach, what we rely on is basically how well we prepare, getting good, talented people into, the, uh, into our team, and relying on our past experiences. Like, we've done this before. We've been here before. And really, all that is to add up to teaching us and showing us who we were as a team. But this is who we are. Just be who you are. Let's go out there and play with no fear. Let's go have confidence. What's different in the Christian life? It's different in the Christian life. This is where I had to make a shift, right? Like those other things I appealed to as a coach, now I appeal to you in a different way. Let's look at chapter 4 here. For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the overcoming that has overcome the world. What is it? John, our faith. Our faith. Who's the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see how John comes back full circle now? He's circular. He keeps repeating the same things, but now faith is intertwined with confidence and being a confident overcomer. Our faith is what allows us and energizes us to be confident as we take on these various temptations and trials 
and the threat of persecution in our lives. It's not us. It's not, look how smart you are. And that's not how, look at the type of friends I have. It's not, look at the church I'm a part of. It's more the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. So my question is this. Do you know Christ well enough as a born-again person to actually be confident? That's the question here. I don't doubt there's plenty of regenerate, born-again people in here. But how confident are you? Can people that you live with, that people know you, yeah, he's confident. Not himself, but in Christ. That's what I'm trying to exhort our church to be. To have true confidence, not a false confidence. John 16, Jesus says this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Don't be a coward, as Revelation 21 warns. Don't be a coward. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Christ is our victor. How well do you know Jesus Christ? That's going to set the tone for your lives. The more you know Christ through his written word, you will know him, you will gain in your confidence. You will grow in your confidence. You see, when you're playing in a game that you already know you won, you go out there and do anything you want in some ways. I just, gotta, I just go out there and play it free. Well, this is not a game. This is the war. This is spiritual. This spiritual war has been won by Christ Jesus. And the more you know our victor, Jesus Christ, the more you'll be confident. The more you take your eyes off of this world, the more you take your eyes off of yourself, and you look to Christ. That's what we're talking about here. But the idea is if you don't have any of this truth in your mind, in your heart, you're going to be looking to someplace else. You might have a false, weak view of Christ. Overwhelmingly, we conquer through him who loved us. This is what the Bible says. Final question, are you born again? Again, finally. Are you born again? As you're sitting here, yes, I have continued belief in Christ as my Lord. Yes. Not perfect, but yes. It's genuine. Yes, I have Christian love in me. I love God. I love other Christians particularly. I love all men, but I I particularly love Christians, particularly those here at Evergreen Baptist Church. Not perfectly, but genuinely, yes, praise God. Number three, are you committed to obeying Christ as Lord? The pattern of my life is yes, and the desire of my heart is yes, but not perfectly, but yes, praise God. Fourthly, Am I a confident overcomer? Do I know that Christ is my victor and I live my life with confidence? I take on opposition from the world with confidence, not in myself, but in Christ. So if you are, if you say yes to these things, to some genuine levels, not perfect levels. Remember, this church is not for perfect people. It's for, we're talking about genuineness here. Be encouraged. God is the one that produces marks in you. Be humble, be encouraged. God is the one that has done these things. Praise God. Praise God. But for right now, you're honest with yourself and you're saying, no, I don't believe anymore. No, I actually don't love God more than anything else. I love other things. I love what God could bring me, but I don't really love God. No, I don't really look to obey him or I'll pick and choose what I want to obey. 
No, I have no confidence that Christ is coming back. I have no confidence that I'm going to be in heaven with him. Well, you're not born again. You're probably not born again. And, and, and that's the bad news. That's the bad news. And I figured this is the most loving thing I could do for you to share this very clearly. But the good news is this. It's not too late. The good news is this. Eternity is not there yet, evidently. You're here listening to me. Give your life to Christ. Cry out to Christ right now. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what the Lord says. Cry out to him right now. Do it today. Do it now. Say, I want to be yours. Bad news, really good news. There's an opportunity to become part of the God's family today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time to preach on the new birth. Lord, I pray that your spirit will really uh, encourage the saints here, those who've been born again. I pray that you would allow us to test ourselves clearly. I pray these tests will constantly be in our minds and hearts, not to make us fearful, but to encourage us, to give us greater awe of you, because at the end of the day, it's all you. You are the one that energizes our human will to want to love and obey and to be confident. It's, It's all from you, Lord. You're the one that causes us to be overcoming of the world. So thank you for these things. I pray for those souls here that cannot genuinely answer yes to these four tests. That they would cry out to you. Say, Lord, I want to be born again. Lord, I want you. I commit to following you as my Lord and Savior. I commit to repenting of idols that seem to compete with you in my life. That you will be my Lord and Savior. So Father God, I pray for these souls today, right now that they will see great hope and great joy in the offer of salvation that's given through Christ your Son. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.